Good morning, and peace to all of you. How many of you have seen this movie that came out in 2015? Ah, Inside Out. It's about a little girl, Riley. Man, it just did great in the box office. It's, um, I saw it at least twice all the way through and about 10 times in pieces because of a foster son and grandchildren. Inside Out. There's five characters on that screen. They all represent an emotion that's inside of a little girl named Riley. And you see them often in the movie in a, in a control room, like in her mind or heart, right? And she's experiencing life, and they're moving from Minnesota to San Francisco as a family. And she's got to go through all those changes in her relationship with her parents. Her, all her interpersonal relationships are affected. And the movie is acclaimed by psychologists. They were even consulted by Pixar and Disney as they made the movie. Uh, on the emotions that drive interpersonal relationships. And so almost everyone, even adults, could relate to it. And sometimes even her parents in the movie, you'll see the different five emotions that are in their control room reacting to Riley, and you can really get into it, right? There's just one big thing missing in the movie that Christians who are thoughtful know is missing. The Holy Spirit, Jesus Christ, who comes to live in our hearts and teaches us to not let our emotions lead us, but rather that we lead or let the Holy Spirit and let God in his word lead our emotions. So really, Inside Out is a kid's comedic presentation of what the Hallmark Christmas movies give us. A whole lot of feelings and emotion with that main message to your own self be true but it's missing the one thing that makes Christmas Christmas, always, right? Christ. And I'm, not, I'm a Hallmark watcher too, so I don't want you to think I'm just want to bash these shows. What I want you to do, though, is I want you to think as a Christian when you take in media like that so you don't fall into being an atheist in the way that you live your life. God gave you much more than that, than just emotions. He gave you himself. And when he came to live in your life, he brought love and truth and the power to live different and to make a difference in all your interpersonal relationships, no matter what people are throwing at you. And we know they throw a lot of poo at us, right? Here's a picture of a bunch of guys in line, and there's something, some light source that's shining a light on the entire line of guys, right? And it casts a shadow behind them because it has the power of the light in the room. But there's this one guy casting the shadow forward because he has a light behind him. I want you to see this because I want you to see that he has from the back of him, the outside of him, he represents, I found this on the web, but he represents Christ, a Christian being lit up by Christ, casting their shadow back into whatever is affecting the line of people. I wanted you to see that we live outside in, not inside out. We live with God's coming from the outside and filling our dark hearts with light and love, and then we start affecting the people outside by loving and serving them, even if they're porcupines. And everything that I'm saying came from my heartfelt study of Romans 15, 1 to 9 this week. It didn't come from me. Romans 15, the word of God for our meditation, is Paul writing to Christians in Rome 
who had relationships that God wanted to speak to them about living outside in and living with patience and acceptance of one another, even though the people they lived with got on their nerves. Do the people you live with get on your nerves? Don't nod right in front of them. Mary, don't say anything. Yeah. We get on each other's nerves and we live with each other at church. So we get on each other's nerves at church. Every church has people getting on their, each other's nerves. Every family, every job place, every there where there's people. In fact, the, the longer you live, the more you talk to people, even of cults, and, uh, of group, any people group, they have many similar issues and problems as the church or a family because we're people. Wherever there's people, we're going to struggle. And God has help for us. He says, I want to show you how this works. So let's go to the first passage. You can get the yellow sheet out if you want to see it, the whole text, and, you'll, and follow along with me. Maybe that's a place you'd like to take just a note or two so you could remember this during this week when the porcupine comes. We who are strong ought to bear with the feelings, the failings of the weak, and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please our neighbor for their good to build them up. For, each, for even Christ, who's the strongest man ever, did not please himself. But as the psalm is written about him, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. Real quickly, we'll dismiss the hardest part first. That psalm verse that Paul quotes is the psalmist saying to God, I'm down here on earth and people are mad at you, but they take it out on me. And this isn't fair. And the, the underlying thought is, it, when you think you're being mistreated and it's not really fair, naturally, that's the time that you think it's okay to get control of the situation for your own good. And you want to complain or you want to change the other person so that your life will be better or you want to get away from them and just completely protect yourself from them. And all of that is not a Christ-centered behavior. We are just in Christendom at large. As America gets less and less spiritually mature, we are shuffling Christians around between churches at a lightning speed rate. Because people don't know how to stick it out and stay and learn to bear up with the failings of each other. And people are doing that in their families. And they're, leave, they're, they're letting years pass when they live a block from each other. Or it seems like that, right? And it's because we're forgetting these basic truths. If you see yourself as the strong one and they are the weak one, the porcupine that hurt you, then that doesn't make you have the right to control the situation for your own benefit as your first line of priority. It, your call is to bear with the failings of the weak. If, you, if they really are weaker, then you bear with them. You, don't, you, you do it with patience. To bear means to carry it with them. Uh, I think this is a great verse for any marriage to bear with the failings of each other. It's we carry our, each other's load. What we do when we are busy reacting is we forget that Jesus is in the control room. What God wants to do to help us 
is to keep it prominent in our movie of our life that Jesus is in the control room of our mind and heart. So what Paul does here is he, the next paragraph that we're about to read, he says, I just told you what you ought to do, bear with the failings of the weak, because that's what Jesus would do. And, and he anticipates that we have a question, but he doesn't write it out. The question is, how do you do that consistently long-term? How do you bear up with the failings? How do you not just grow impatient and reject uh, people and pull away or, or just fight it out to try to change them to make your life better? How do you do that? And this is what he says. Everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. So if the question is, how do you consistently learn to, to uh, be patient with each other and live that way, that you don't let everything make you just react selfishly, he says, get into the scriptures. He said, I wrote it all down for you. I gave it to you. And I'm just going to tell you real quickly, if you don't have a relationship with your Bible then you're not going to be able to do this as consistently as you want to when you ask the question. Because it's got to come from the outside. It doesn't come from your five emotions that run around that little control room of your heart. By the way, those emotions that were in the movie were anger, fear, disgust, sadness, and joy. And they're all emotions that are real to us, and they're the big five. But those big five don't have Jesus. And so God brings it in through the scriptures. Now the Bible that Paul was talking about that was not yet completed was the Old Testament. And I'm just going to highlight two things. There's 25 things we could talk about about the Bible. But two things are the stories of God's people as God worked with them and filled them and walked with them and changed their lives. You need to know them on an intimate level. So some of you are little children right now, and you just barely know them, and you're learning, you're getting the basic facts down. But what I'm concerned about is adults that think that since they learned the stories of the Bible at a little children's level, that maybe that there's not anything there that they could mine or get out of it that would help them with the fact that they're dealing with interpersonal problems in their lives, in their family, their church, or their community. But actually there is. If you will follow the life of Joseph, if you will, that's in the Genesis, the Old Testament Joseph, the life of David, the life of Abraham, you will see how God worked with them and how they learned patience, how Joseph learned to forgive and see the bigger picture, how David learned to trust God and he had twice the opportunity while he was being chased by Saul who was trying to kill David, he, he had twice the opportunity to kill Saul and end his frustration. He trusted God and he would not do it, even though his commander of his army was telling them that God had delivered Saul into his hand. And you learn those stories, and then you're in the middle of a situation that's not near as dire as somebody chasing you down to kill you, but it feels st still very painful. And you remember that story, God is in the control room of your mind and heart. But if you don't even intimately know that story, that you can't draw from that at all, what are you going to draw from? Hallmark? Really? God says, I wrote it all down for you. It's there. He says it right here in Romans. Go get it. 
Go get the scriptures. Here's a, and, and okay, that's, I said I was going to share two things. One thing is the stories. The second thing is just the clear teachings of the Bible are go-to passages that we cling to. You already have one or two. You may not even remember exactly where they are, but you may have 10, but you've got some. But here's one about interpersonal relationships when you get, let's just say when someone says a harsh word to you. Proverbs 15.1. I want you to learn to look through those Proverbs for wisdom like this. A gentle answer turns away wrath and anger. But a harsh response will only stir it up. You see how that would be a best friend when you're in a moment with someone? A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh answer stirs things up. That's what Paul is saying when he says, I want you to bear up with people, but I also want you to go to the Bible and fill yourself up in your devotional life so you are ready for those interpersonal moments with people. That's how you bear up. I've given you the Bible to be your friend. It's not an assignment book. It's a blessing with incredible spiritual insight. And it's what's missing in so much of what we take in today to try to deal with life. Then Paul, then Paul breaks into a, a prayer. If you see the word may, it's kind of like I'm, I'm praying, I'm telling you what my desire is, the Apostle Paul is to the Romans, what God's desire is for us. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement, those were in the paragraph above, may, may the God who gives those to you give you the same attitude and of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. What is God's goal? What's on his heart? What does God want? When I'm in the middle of an atheistic moment in my interpersonal relationships, I'm thinking about what I want. And maybe what the other person wants, and maybe whatever I'm going to do with that, right? But if, I'm, if I've got a new idea, I'm thinking about what God wants. There, here's a passage I could go to. He wants us to speak with one mouth and one heart and one mind in unity the way that Christ teaches us. And in the paragraph, Jesus' mind is the only thing that can unite us completely. There are some people that are big into automobiles and pickup trucks that will tell you they are so faithful and loyal to Fords that you'd feel like you would be cut out of their friend's book if you had a Chevy. And vice versa and college football teams. And there are, there are men who make so many common that women always feel uncomfortable in their presence, right? Or women that make those comments and feelings about men. We're, we're not gonna be united on those things alone. We're gonna have to be united on what? On God and his love and his truth. And that's what makes us bear up with one another, right? Um, when you came to faith and the Holy Spirit came to live in you, it is the same Holy Spirit that came to live in every other Christian. And by the way, I just point out that these passages are about the church. 
They're not just about all relationships, although everything I'm saying for a Christian applies to how they reach out to the world. But these passages are about the Christian body of believers. That's what Paul is doing. He's writing to Christians. So I'm applying it to us as Christians together. When the Holy Spirit came to live inside of you, he came and said to live inside of me, he's the same Holy Spirit. Even though I've got a lot of uniqueness that's very different than you, and I have opinions about certain things that you don't like at all. And you have opinions that I don't really like at all, but we're one in Christ, right? And they can be on very small levels about how to decorate a table. They can be on automobiles and everything else, but it's the same Holy Spirit that came to live inside of us. That means he made us true spiritual family. And a, a truth from God's word is that when he puts you in a family, you don't reject that family. You put up with them and you bear up with their weaknesses because you're there to help each other. That's a truth. I, thought, I saw it illustrated once. I talked about this years ago, but uh, it's, it's in a... It's in a um, a Dennis the Menace cartoon strip that was in Sunday morning, so it's several cap, you know, pictures with many captions. And uh, Dennis and Joey are playing catch. Joey's his neighborhood friend. Joey's got a little brother. Dennis doesn't. They're playing catch, baseball back and forth. And Dennis goes, I wish I had a little brother. And Joey goes, oh, no, you don't. Ball throws back. And, and Dennis goes, well, why not? And Joey says, because sometimes he eats my, my uh, ice cream when I'm not looking. And Dennis throws the ball back. Joey says, sometimes he, le he leaves a mess all over our room that we share. Dennis throws the ball back. He tells three more sins of his little brother that <laughs> does against him. And then the ball goes rolling out. You know how kids, you miss throw it. Goes under the bushes. And the little brother who's watching, he goes crawling under the bushes. And Dennis is standing with Joey outside the bushes. You can see the, little, the little brother's rear end sticking out. And Dennis says, you know, if he's that much trouble, why don't you just get rid of him? And Joey said, oh, I can't do that. Dennis said, why? He said, he's my, he's my brother, right? We surface complain, but I'm not going to get rid of him. He's my brother. Now, what makes us brothers and sisters? According to God's word, only that Christ lives in both of our hearts. Otherwise, we can be vastly different, right? But we think, we, we, God says, I put you together. Sometimes it feels like he put oil and water together. But he still said, I brought you together. And then he brings a word like this. It says, I want you to bear with each other. And then watch what happens as he rounds it out. He goes from patience to acceptance. Accept one another then, just as Christ Jesus accepted you, in order that you bring praise to God. For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth, so that the promises made to the patriarchs, that's Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the Jewish patriarchs, so that those promises might be confirmed, and moreover, that the who? The Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. You and I did not live in the New Testament era unless we were here hearing God's word, studying it regularly. We can miss this, and I don't want you to miss it because it's today's passage. They had racism in the church. They struggled with it because the Jewish faith with its Old Testament was the beginning of Christianity. It talked about the coming Savior. And the Jews were the first to hear about the Savior. Every time Paul and the others would witness, they'd start with the Jews, Pentecost. 
at the temple, all the synagogues, right? So every Christian congregation had this core of Jews that are written to throughout the New Testament. Those letters, they got this core of Jews. It shows up in the book of Acts, where the Jews, the Hebrew widows, and the Greek Gentile widows, they're distributing to the widows. There's no welfare system, so the church is giving them food every day. The Greek widows think that the Jewish apostles are favoring the Hebrew widows, and they're complaining, and they're saying racism in our church. And so they had a big problem to deal with. The struggle to not accept each other based upon deeply different raisings, deeply different heritages, was pervasive in the early New Testament church. And so Paul, when he writes the Romans, who had a Jewish synagogue that heard the gospel and then Gentiles around it that came to faith, so they had that element. In this little place, this section, bearing with the failings of the weak, he's saying to the Gentiles, I know you, know, you think those Jews are weird in your church, but you accept them because the gospel that was confirmed to them started with their patriarchs that came to you is also for you. It's the same gospel. In Ephesians 2, he talks about it being a temple made out of a one man and a temple both being made out of two groups of people. Um, he says to the Jews, those Gentiles were the intended target that you would get the gospel early with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, confirmed to your fathers. It would be carried on by you as a nation of people, and then it would be spread to the Gentiles by you folks that they would be included. The whole idea of the gospel is including everyone under the grace of the cross of Jesus Christ. So how anti-Christ and how devilish is it if we look around, and because someone is different than us, we just decide they're not as good as us in the church, right? Now, I'm just going to say it. First of all, we have multiple ethnic cultures in our church, right? We have the Congo. We have Jamaica. We have Hispanic. We have... Wisconsinites? Yeah. We have Texans, right? We have Okies, right? We have, we have that, right? Pastor Dan raised his hand and said, I'm the Okie in the back. So we, we know we have these. This is the Sunday with this passage where we've got to say what God's word is saying. And what does God say to all of us? Accept one another just as Christ accepted you. So let me just real quickly, let me just ask you, how do you think Jesus really likes you because you're a Texan or a Jamaican or a Hispanic or whatever? You think he likes you because of that? And it, he's really in favor of your outlook and your culture and your life better than others. Are you kidding me? When the holy God looks at each one of us, he accepts us completely and entirely by what? grace and forgiveness. There is so much mixed in all of our cultures and subcultures and our opinions and our, it's, it, that he has to say, goodness gracious, like a Texan would say, bless your heart, I'm just going to forgive you because I'm not going to accept you into my fellowship if I don't just say I love you in, in grace, right? That's how Christ accepts you today. 
It's not because he wakes up every morning and says, you know, you and I are really the superior opinion about how life and culture should be, and we'll walk together, and I'll help you understand all those other peons. That's not the way he is. He's accepting you in spite of what you are. And what does he say for you to do? Accept everybody else the same way. But your first reaction in the control room of your mind with those five emotions is to be Christless and just try to make yourself comfortable and also try to change people and so that your life will be easier. I'm repeating what I said at the beginning. And what Christ comes in and says is, oh no, there's something I want the world to see. This is in Ephesians chapter 2. It's here in Romans 15. It's everywhere in the Bible. There's something I want the world to see. I want them to see that what binds you together is my son, Jesus Christ. That's what I want them to see. So I put very different people together. So the world will look at them and say, you know, that's an odd couple, right? You've done that. You've looked at a couple and said, how did they get together? He wants the people to look at the church and say, how did they get together? And we'd say, what? With one mouth, with one voice. How did we get together? Jesus! That's how we got together. It's Jesus. That's what glues us together. And we can keep our uniqueness. We can laugh about our differences. But Jesus, he keeps us together. And we're not going to reject each other because that's my brother getting the ball out from under the bushes, right? There's those five emotions. In 27 years of serving, and I'm not boasting about that. I'm just saying I've I've, I've been blessed to be alive that long. I've watched many Christians forget. That's why I'm so passionate today about this. We just forget. So we get in a little tiff with each other, and it's like Riley in the movie. We stomp off and go to the bedroom, and one of our favorite lines in the movie, Felipe's and mine, is where anger and with the father, the father's got anger up in his head, and he's decided, anger's in the, in the control room of his heart, and he goes, we're putting our foot down. We're putting our foot down. And all the other emotions go, no, no, let's try this. Let's try that. And finally, anger just hits the control button, and, it, and, every, and then he sits back, and the father goes, go to your room, young lady. And, and, and anger goes, the foot, what did he say, is definitely down. You know how you feel that way in a tiff, right? I got it. I said it. I got control of that situation. The foot is definitely down. And Jesus says, oh, you forgot I was in the room. I wanted, to, I wanted you to bear up. I wanted you to accept. I wanted you to love and forgive. And by the way, when I was going through all the places that we're from, this applies for men and women. It applies for... Older members, younger members. This, is a, this text is about the church. This provides, this is millennials versus the builder generation. It's about, it's about opinions about politics. You know how this text applies to what I'm about to say, how heart-wrenching it is for a pastor to sit in a Bible class and watch someone say a statement that is so black and white Republican that a Democrat that's a Christian member in the Bible class jumps up, runs out the back door, and comes to my office later and says, I don't feel comfortable in my church because they're all Republicans. I don't care what they are. We're all Christians, right? And I don't want you to care either. I want you to think about it. It's not about politics in the church. Politics out there is not what the church is about, is it? It's about what? What unites us? It's Jesus. 
And when we're starting to run each different directions, it could be about style of music, it could be about the way we do things, it could be church decisions that we've made. We forgot. We forgot he's in the control room. Now we're just in a Hallmark movie. Now we're just in Inside Out. We don't want to be that way. Jesus Christ changes everything. And when Paul wants to lead the church to be accepting, what does he say? Accept each other the way that God accepts you. And then he falls back into a promised prayer. May the God of hope, this is, this is what comes at the end of this acceptance paragraph. May the God of hope fill you with joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. I am not going to pretend to be a psychologist, and I'm not going to pretend to be a doctor of medicine, but I'm going to tell you that much of what, not all, but much of what we experience in depression is the failure in our interpersonal relationships that cause us guilt and blame and a lot of other emotions that create toxins that affect us long-term in our health. And what God is trying to do when he teaches us his word is to give us a path forward with his son to say, I can actually get put in the control room of your life. When I bring Jesus, I can put these emotions in there. But the pathway to put them there are the passages above. It's learning to follow Christ in interpersonal relationships and then you will have hope. One of, the, one of the reasons we'll move in and out of marriages and move in and out of churches is because we've lost hope. When you've got love, the love of Christ driving you and you're able to learn to bear up with each other and resolve conflict, then you have hope. And then you have joy because this faith of ours is real and it's really powerful. And you have peace because you don't have to agree on everything. But you have peace that we, we, we both have Jesus and you're my brother, you're my sister. And you have hope that you're God-pleasing and you're going to live forever. And those are the things that Paul is saying. He's saying the God of hope will fill you with all of these things. And I have, I've shared you the negative. I have been a part of many conversations in this church. And I, since I lead other churches in, in meetings with other Christians where we've gotten together and we let God be in the control room, and we looked at the situation that we were angry about, upset about, and we apologized, and we forgave, and I've watched the joy, and the hope, and the relief, and the peace come over the person, and there's nothing more beautiful and more life-changing for the community around that person to see someone that goes from being all twisted about it and being changed by Jesus and his love and truth guiding and leading their emotions rather than the other way around. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for this word from Paul about living outside in. Thank you that we have you in the control room of our heart all of us in this room feel it because we're all sinners, including me. We know some of us failed this morning together with each other, and some of us are afraid we're going to fail on the way home. <laughs> but we know what you said is, is truth in Romans. 
Help this word from you, Jesus, to be what you want it to be for me and for everybody else here. That we learn to accept each other and to be patient with one another so that with one mouth and one heart as one group of people that has all kinds of differences, we actually show the world the amazing hope and joy and peace you can give us for this life and for the next. Amen.